0: We have both things when we come to church. Sometimes it's like, oh, it's so good to see other people in the mix. I'm sitting here earlier, and I saw people spinning kids around in the same rat's like, this is fantastic. Well, we're going to read Scripture together. This is from the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, the 32nd chapter, and we're just going to read verses 22 through 30. This is um, one of the most... One of the best known stories in all of history. Um, people for thousands of years have known this story. You might, you might not. I'm just reading a portion of it. This is Jacob. The same night, he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and eleven children. So you should be troubled right from the start. <laughs> and crossed the ford of Jabbok. He took them. And sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hit was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, The man said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What's your name? And Jacob said, It's Jacob. Then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, yet my life is preserved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, I have a song in my head. And now I have a different song in my head because of this. And these are better than the song I had in my head before, which is uh, the B-I-B-L-E. Do you know the rest? That, I, I didn't really grow up going to Sunday school, so I, that's, as, that's as much as I know. The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. I don't know the rest. Okay, Andrea and Barbara, <laughs> they know. I stand, I stand alone on the Word of God. Okay, it gets... Uh, Or um, I also heard this other, it's not a song, it's a a saying, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. Did we tell our kids this? Because, well, first of all, just from a theological interpretation, a biblical interpretation, it's not basic. (laughs) Secondly, it's not instructions. And thirdly, before leaving earth? (laughs) Um, Okay, so if you've used that in Sunday school, You know, God still loves you, that's okay. (laughs) But we want to recover the story, and why? We want to recover the story because we are asking what it means to be human, and we, gathered in this place where we share some semblance of faith, are asking what it means to live our lives in an awareness of God's presence and love, where we say our humanity is found. You want answers to all kinds of questions in your life, but these two, what does it mean to be human? And what does it mean to live in the light of God's presence and love? Those answers will speak to all the other questions. So we have the narrative lectionary, which is a clunky title. It's clunkier than what we're wanting to do. We want to recover the story. And we start in Genesis. These early stories, so to do what's now called a survey... So if you do Old Testament survey, that doesn't mean you're asking people or the Bible like questions of a survey. It means you're, you're going through. To some degree, you're asking the Bible questions, I suppose. Chapter 1 to 11 of Genesis is prehistory. It's time that you know, is beyond our kind of conceptual understanding in more ways than even the rest of Scripture. Chapter 1 to 11, you get stories like Noah's Ark. You get creation. You get Cain and Abel, you get Noah's Ark, you get Tower of Babel, right? People lived to hundreds and hundreds of years. Chapter 12 then starts history. You have a name, Abram, you have another name, Sarai, and you have God's voice speaking to particular people in a particular place, but there's a promise. And the promise is that Abram and Sarai, I, God, how would you know the voice of God then? Same kind of questions we have today in many ways. I, God, will bless you, you individually and as a family, and from that blessing, the nation will be blessed and made, and from that blessing, the entire universe will be blessed. And they hear this promise. That's chapter 12, 15 is part of the promise. God chooses not to be God without humanity. This is the promise of blessing. And as it's universal, it's the promise for you. And we would say in faith, the promise for all. And then you get stories. Abram, Abraham to Joseph. So these four generations, a word that's difficult for many of our ears now. These are called the patriarchs. Abra- Abraham, right? Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and not only them and not only the men, but it does have a patriarchal tone to it. These stories, you go from Abraham in this kind of unknown land to settling, and then you get to Joseph and slavery in Egypt. These are these early stories of history. That's where the technicolor dream goat comes in and slavery, and then they'll be delivered. It's not basic instructions before leaving earth. If you try to turn these stories into basic instructions, you'll do damage to your own understanding and potentially damage to the people that you're speaking to. What does it mean to be human? These are people who have conflict all around. These are stories of them and their families. And there is, I don't think in the whole of the Bible, certainly not in the whole of the Old Testament, but there is no family where you would say you should be like that family. I mean, you're going to be like all other families that have flaws and difficulties. So any ideal that's set up as the Christian family is by definition some kind of idol. It's not a real thing. These are real people with real struggles, real sin, conflict, and fear, but always, always, always the promise and the blessing is present. So Jacob, I'll tell you some things about him. You might not like him. You should not entirely like him, I suppose. His very name is Schemer. That's what his name means. It means heel grabber. Because when he's born in those times, particularly in still some, some places today, there was a blessing from the patriarch meant everything. And the oldest son, patriarchal society, got the blessing. But Jacob was born a twin. So how do you dole out the blessing? The older son gets a double portion. Well, Jacob's born a twin, and he's born second. So he literally is born grasping the heel of his very slightly older brother. He's a heel grasper. He's a schemer. And his entire life is scheming. Even after his encounters with God. We have these stories, you know. I was like this and like this and like this, and then I met Jesus, and now my life is totally changed. And that's true. But there's also this. Jacob, even after, is scheming. God's promise remains present even over Jacob's messy life. And I want, as we listen to this story, to alert you to how I listened in the spirit. I mean, I guess since I'm speaking, unfortunately or fortunately, you kind of might listen through the ways that I have. And for me, I've heard this story obviously many times, but in, in opening it this time, these past couple few weeks, uh, I've been alerted to listening by seeing pairs in the story. Prayerfully, vividly, some pairs are complements, like they're just two of almost the same thing, but slightly different. Some are opposites, where one, or some are where, where one is an extension of the other. The words themselves, Jacob's story, And I would invite you to consider these pairs in the story as you listen for your own life because I know you matter more to you than Jacob does. And that's okay. Jacob's life, the first pair. The first pair I had in my prayers and my mind was fear and adversary. Jacob's life is often dominated by an awareness of what he's afraid of and by an awareness of who or what he thinks is adversarial to him or is his adversary from the moment he's born. (laughs) And your life. It's astounding to think to me often as a pastor, someone who cares about pastoral care and these kinds of things, how many of us, most of us, maybe all of us, carry fear and a notion of the adversary in our lives. Who or what? What is it that you're afraid of? Jacob's gonna be up all night in this story And those are the places you often encounter your own core fears, or whatever it is that you think is your adversary. Jacob has this twin brother, but Jacob schemes to get the double portion blessing. And it's as all families go, there are these one day stories. Like there's all these uh, patterns in your family that you can identify, but there's often like one day or one occasion where something really changed. And it can be kind of a mundane thing. Jacob is making stew one day. One day. And Esau's out in the field. He's more masculine in these kinds of ways that people can sometimes think. And Esau comes back in from the fields and Jacob's got this stew and Esau says, I'm starving. I'm so hungry I'm going to die. And Jacob, always scheming. Oh, I have stew, but I didn't think you wanted to eat. Give me some stew. Well, how about if you give me your birthright? What good is a birthright if I'm dead, says Esau. He, literally, he says that he's starving to death. It's an exaggeration. But he maybe doesn't think the birthright is that meaningful. At least not in this moment. So he gives him the birthright. Transfers places in a sense. Later, there's more scheming. Jacob's mother is more favored, she favors Jacob more. Father favors Esau more. And mom sets up this plan when dad is dying, when he pronounces the real blessing upon the oldest son. And there's all you know the story, many of you, right? There's like they tape hair, well tape, I don't know, somehow attach hair to his body and all this stuff. Pretend it's Esau because Esau's hairier and dad is going blind. And so then the blessing is now given to the wrong son, to the younger son. Jacob is stealing everything. And Esau finds this out and Esau says, I'm going to kill him. I've had enough. I'm going to kill him. And Jacob runs and that's where we pick up the story. He's been running for some time now. And you should read the story because he's just always scheming, but schemers attract other schemers, and sometimes they work together until they scheme against one another. And Jacob's story is full of that, too. Other people getting the better of him. It's how he winds up with two wives and all these kids, and all is that the scheming has crossed over like this. And he's running from Esau. But because things have not worked out entirely according to his plan, whatever that is, he thinks to himself, I've got to go back to my homeland because that's where he can establish some kind of life and some kind of future. But there's one big thing in the way. What is that thing? Esau. If I go back there, he's going to kill me. So Jacob works out a plan. I will confront, meet, reconcile with Esau. By now, he's accumulated a lot as these stories go in ancient times wealth, servants, power, wives, who unfortunately were treated often as property. There's this confusing brigade, and there is this mix of God's blessing and all kinds of sin in the midst of this kind of gathering of people. And then one night, one night, Jacob has this plan, he knows he's gonna meet Esau probably the next day, and so he sets up things in a way with all of this stuff and all these people in such a way that, I hate to say it, but it's true, he actually seems to be willing to put all the other people, including wives, including those closest to him, at risk for their own safety to protect himself in the way that he sends them forward. But he sets up a plan and his plan has, according to the fear in his mind, if Esau starts to you know, indicate that he's going to kill me, here's what we'll do. So he's got it all worked out, and then this one word kind of comes in like a, like a drumbeat. He is then, and when we get to the story, he is alone, he is alone, he's by himself, it's at night. And then he wrestles a man. An opponent. Remember fear, an adversary. The story itself in the Old Testament says only a man. In the Old Testament, the story never says God. In the New Testament, there's a reference that refers to Jacob wrestling God, which would be, we assume, this story. But here, it is left to be kind of weird. He actually wrestled a man, but also he was so aware of his fear in the night that, have you had nights like that? where it moved from just anxiety and worry to almost psychosis. So it's real, but it's more than real, too. He wrestles a man. He wrestles God. There is this encounter in the deepest places of fear. And what is Jacob's fear? And who is Jacob's adversary? And what is your fear? And who is your adversary? And what would your wrestling look like? I mean, I don't see it here. We all do a nice job of not looking like we're wrestling mostly when we come to church unless we really fall apart, right? But I know you wrestle in the night. There's another pair that I feel in this story. Trouble with family, trouble with God. Jacob never seems to be able to get things straight with the family. And he seems to have this struggle with God we think that we can manage our lives and plan and accumulate and make our way. But the truth is, we carry the trauma of family, the joy and the trauma, strife, difficulty. In our lives of faith, it is not always easy to trust. Belief has non-belief as part of it. Did you know that? That's what it sort of means. I believe, Lord help my unbelief trouble with family and trouble with God, and another pair, seeking blessing or stealing blessing, you know this truth as well, because you know if you seek, or maybe a better way of putting it is receiving blessing or stealing blessing, if you seek or receive blessing from God, from some sense of the transcendent, however it is you think in faith, right? If you receive blessing, that kind of gives you an expansive view of the world, a trusting view, a view that's open to other people, but if you, if you steal or manufacture blessing, so make your own way, it feels different, doesn't it? I mean, maybe you feel you're more than, you're bigger, you've got something that other people don't have. And Jacob has this tension in his life always between receiving blessing and stealing blessing. And he himself always falls often falls on the side of stealing blessing or manufacturing it. Somehow blessing can cease to be blessing when we fail to see that it's received. So Jacob's adversary is his adversary God. He thinks that his adversary is Esau and sets up if-onlys in the same way that you do. If only that thing that's in your mind right now or when you can't sleep, if only that was resolved, well, then your life would be more manageable, more peace. And Jacob's if-only is Esau. If only I can deal with this Esau thing, then I'm okay. But as his adversary God, he wrestles with this man, just Jacob alone on a sleepless night before a feared encounter. And there we are, lying there. I, mean, I don't know. It could have been last night for some of you. Lying awake the night before a feared encounter. Seems to be some kind of draw. This wrestling, neither one can win, the man or Jacob. And as the morning light approaches, the man says, let me go. I won't let you go. You've got to give me a blessing. What's your name? Jacob. Well, now your name is Israel. This other pair, his name moves from heel grabber to God protects, which can also be interpreted as struggled with God and survived. And then there's the astounding scene of the encounter. Jacob thinking that his adversary is Esau, and he's had other adversaries in his mind, his uncle and other people, Leah, Rachel, these names that matter in his life like the names of people that matter in your life. They're your company, but sometimes adversity and your adversary can come there even you have in this story then the real heart of the story as I see it, at least in this listening? The heart of the story, and it's why I'm choosing not to emphasize the hip thing right now. Uh, Whenever I was growing up, that hip thing was always emphasized. It's an important part of the story. But what rings out to me in this listening is this truth. God blesses. God blesses. And if you fail to see that, I don't mean like shaking your finger, fail to see it. But if you don't or you can't see it, then you will try to get the blessing yourself. This is Jacob's struggle. We can come out of church cultures where we can feel that God condemns, God corrects, God rebukes, whatever it is, right? God has a message to the world, and it's mostly no. Mostly you're wrong. Proper understanding of God, and I will battle on this one. God's word to the world is yes. Yes. There is no, but that no is always contained within the larger yes. God blesses the world. God blesses you. This blessing from Abraham on will be universal to each of us and to all of us together. And Jacob in his wrestling is forced to ask who he is in light of God. And he's given a new name. My identity, my name, my humanity. Come encounter, in encounter with God. Jacob had a sleepless night and he was wrestling. Some of you might know the story of the mustard seed from the ancient east. More actually Buddhist tradition than Christian tradition, but it speaks a point that is universal. A woman loses or is about to lose her only child and grief stricken, she staggers through town looking for someone who can save or bring this child to life and she meets wise sage and he says he's more than a wise sage he's like a d- divinity figure and he says that he will bring the child to life if, if she can just find a mustard seed just a mustard seed and she's so excited because she's gonna go get a mustard seed now and then her boy won't be suffering anymore or he'll be back to life and she and he says there's one catch though you have to get the mustard seed from a home in which there has been no death or suffering that's the story she tries She comes back knowing now that there is not one life or house or home that has been spared pain, sorrow, and suffering. Portuguese poet put it this way. He said, there are ships sailing to many ports, but not a single one goes where life is not painful. Here's the truth for us in our lives. If we think... That is fantastic. Anyway, if we think think about God's blessing... We want to know God's blessing in the depth even of sorrow, difficulty, and pain. We can know it all the other times as well. But God's blessing is fulfilled and now we're going to get to the other wrestling in the other garden. Jesus Christ on a sleepless night in Gethsemane. Mark chapter 19, 32-36 to 36, for those who are interested. Jesus saying, O oh Father, let this cup passed for me, yet not my will. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's blessing, and my faith and my trust in him are this awareness and this prayer and this aspiration that I will know God's blessing fully and salvation and redemption and reconciliation and peace in Christ. He is like the perfect Jacob, like what Jacob would be if he wasn't so Jacob. Yet not my will, but yours. In the end, the wrestling, the story of Jacob, this pair, Jesus wrestling, God and humanity come together in Jesus Christ. This is where all is fulfilled, renewed, reconciled, and redeemed. But like a good story, there's like this post-ending I know you guys know this because you're all experts at watching movies and television shows and whatever else. And so there's like the, the moment that's the peak of the story where everything kind of seems to, you know, come to an end. But then there's always another scene. It's like the last scene. Often it's, little, it's funny if it's a kind of crime show or something. It's, there's another scene after his meeting with Esau. Well, first, let me tell you about the, that encounter itself. Esau doesn't kill him. He runs and embraces him. This whole scene is actually after the big climax of the story. But Esau doesn't kill him. He runs and embraces him. And Jacob says to him, I've got this all worked out now. Because I've got gifts for you. Now he's feeling maybe guilty about, you know, heel grabbing and stealing blessing. I don't really think he was feeling guilty. I think he was trying to figure out how to, you know, next stage. So Esau, I've got all these things for you, my Lord, he says. That's the love, you know, my Lord. And Esau, it's this incredible thing. And you know people like this in your, in your life. They're not often looked up to in our society. Esau says, um, no, I have enough. I don't, I don't need any of this. He says, but I'd love to just us see each other more and be together more. Let's have this plan where we... You know, live in the same area where we share our lives together. And Jacob says, yeah, that sounds great. That sounds fantastic. He says, now, but how about this? You just go on ahead because I've got a whole bunch of kids and they're super tired and they're a little bit annoying and, and I'll come up behind you and then we'll have this idyllic life from now on. And so Esau does, he goes up on ahead and guess what Jacob does? Do you know the story? He just goes somewhere else. And that's the end of the story. In the moment where Esau doesn't kill Jacob, Jacob says to him this incredible thing that speaks to us today, or I think should. He says, to see your face is to see the face of God. I'm convinced in my life that those who contended with God This doesn't mean like you're a God and I'm a God, and I'm not talking like that. But God chooses not to be God without humanity. What that means is you can't actually really encounter God without encountering other people. And if you've been given a spirituality that says that you can, well, seeing your face is like seeing the face of God. If you haven't contended with God, you might not know that, but if you have, You will. Truly seeing one another. And then this postscript where Jacob keeps scheming. So what do you do with that story? Jesus, the one who fulfills this blessing, who himself is the fulfillment of the blessing. So I have in my mind, Jesus, they were rehearsing this before, Jesus, Jesus, I will trust him. Jesus, Jesus, I will trust him. Trusting in Jesus now, when from now on still remains imperfect. And then I wanted to read to you, I took a photo of it during the worship time. It's a great song for this story. I will praise you on the mountain. I will praise you when the mountain's in my way. You're the summit where my feet are, so I will praise you in the valleys all the same no less God within the shadows, no less faithful when the night leads me astray. You're the heaven where my heart is, in the highlands and the heartache all the same. We pray. So God, I pray that we would know by your spirit, by your presence, Holy Spirit, what it means to respond. I pray that we would trust Lord Jesus in you, Jesus, that we would trust in you more and more. I thank you that you know what is in our hearts and minds in terms of what we fear and who is our adversary, how we seek and often aim to make our own blessing. But Jesus, may we trust in you. We thank you in your name. Amen.